0: Well, that's definitely the desire of our heart, isn't it? And when we stand together and we sing and we hear one another's voices crying out that same desire, we have that confidence, we have that sense of victory, we have that sense of God's work in it all. And this morning as we look at Philippians chapter 2, reminded how quickly sometimes that fades. Let's get a turn to Hebrews 12 first. If you would, we're going to be looking at a few things there as we begin this morning. It's a privilege to be able to spend the time with you, and I just want to say that as I do, I, I share from the heart how quickly, even in my own life, these things that we look at fade from moments like we just shared together in song to moments traveling in the car home on a Sunday afternoon. And I just hope and pray that for a few moments this morning we can settle our hearts and just really think through where we're at. It doesn't mean it's going to be fixed, it doesn't mean that these things in our life are going to magically change. But if we can put our finger on at least the start of how that happens, that the Spirit of God would remind us as it happens. Maybe the Lord would work through it in a way where we start to live in those moments of surrender and peace, even in the midst of the storm, just a little longer. This morning, we're looking at trusting humility, uh, both of which uh, are easy to talk about and hard, (laughs) really hard to live. You know, there's a lot going on in this world. There are tens of thousands buried under rubble in Syria and Turkey. There's crazy stuff going on politically. There's things in our lives in every level, if we're honest, some of us more than others. My question in the midst of all of this is when I say the central truth this morning is I must choose to trust God daily, do we just check out or do we really just settle our hearts and ask how we're struggling with that? There's nothing new, even Philippians chapter 2 we're going to get into, even Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to look at. And if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard probably more sermons, better sermons on some of these passages. But in my own life, I realized that it doesn't gain any real traction until we settle our hearts and ask ourselves, what about us? How does this impact us, our marriages? There are conflicts in your life this morning? Just be honest. Those things you're holding against somebody who maybe didn't do what they should have done, maybe did what they shouldn't have done. Trusting the Lord in the things we see on the news and we've we got to go out there and we've got to make a difference. I mean, we're losing our country. We're losing our families. We're, we're just losing. How quickly this statement just falls off the table. And we look at Hebrews, as we consider what he has for us, the writer of Hebrews. As we get into Philippians chapter 2, I'm haunted by those words, have this same mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Realizing that's the heart of, of so much. And we focus on humility, which we're going to do. But the underlying reality of how did Christ do this? Why did Christ do this and, and revealing back in my own heart and life the reasons why I struggle to? Why I keep going in these cycles over and over and over again? You know, it's kind of like a vehicle that's run out of gas. You know, and faith and trust in what God is doing is really what fills the tank. And you can sit there and say, I don't understand why I'm not going anywhere in life. Well, you're, your gas tank's empty. The car's not even running. How are you going to get anywhere? I can then divert to another problem. No, 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 never mind. I don't want to hear about the gas tank. I don't, trusting God, I got that. I think there's a gas gauge here, but my speedometer doesn't work. And you come back to the reality. Well, that's because you're out of gas. It's not work. But if we can get down to the root problem, we can start dealing with some of the others. We've got to trust the Lord. He humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant he has this attitude, this, this perspective. And if I'm honest, I'm not going to stand up here and say, i had got it all figured out. I'm convicted how quickly my own heart is not humbled anymore, and I'm looking for my rights, and I'm looking for what I want and, and what I need and what I think isn't happening. And all that conflict enters our heart, struggling with those things that God allows in our life. If there is one lesson to get right, in life. If there's one thing that we can we can get right in life, the gas has to be in the tank. We have to be trusting God and as simple as that is. It's it's hard. And we can busy ourselves with all the theologies and all of the things that we need to be working on and maybe you've tried to do that in your life. I'm going to be a better parent, I'm going to be a better spouse, a better employee, you know. It's 2023. I'm going to do better this year. If we can get one thing right, I think of Job. What do you say? Though he slay me still, still I will trust him. we just sang this. He'll lead me through those valleys. We haven't even gotten into the middle of the valley and we've already flagged on our trust. Think about how we don't trust his provision as we look to satisfy what we feel our own needs are. These cycles of sin as we keep coming back, whatever it is, over and over and over again. He's not enough. I've got to do this myself. I've got to find it myself. You know, it's amazing as we think through these things in our life how much of it comes back to, do I really trust him? Do I trust him that if I love my my wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that it's better for me? It is. It is. Can I trust him that if I submit to my husband, God, you haven't met him, have you? I think you do know him, but you don't, want to, you don't know what it's like. Is that really better for me? Is it better to say no? Is it better to go and solve this conflict when they were just so mean? I mean, I was fine. I didn't have any part in it. Is it really? Really? Obedience is tied to this. Trusting his word, trusting his provision, trusting his character. So when I say I must choose to trust God daily, you know, that's not just a salvation thing, that's a life thing. And, I, and it's not just a, hey, let's talk about this and then go on about our life. But I'd ask you to really ask, even this next few hours and. The afternoon, as you drive home, what are those areas in my life I, that I just don't? Maybe I never thought of it that way before. So we look at Hebrews chapter 12. Um, I, I love, certainly, starting in verse 11, how it begins, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, how often we, we misread this. We, we kind of think that there's this group of people in heaven watching us. That's not what it means. Those are giving testimony, that's chapter 11. Not those watching us, but those that would stand as an example, a witness of what, though? The effect of faith. The whole chapter, and I'll let you read the whole of chapter 11, but the the trustworthiness of God, the truth of choosing to trust being best for us. If we trust Him, it works out better for me. If I follow Him, it works out better for me. I want to ask, why haven't we learned this yet? How many times we put trust, what, in ourselves? These same cycles? It's madness. But, but we do. It's hard to let go. And you know what? Just turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. I don't know if it's just a page back in your Bible, but let's just read that. Verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, that, that's faith, the people of old, notice what it says, received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen um, was not made of all those things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. Notice that. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, still speaks. Think about that. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. You see what what the writer of Hebrews is doing here? He's showing they believed, they trusted, and there was the reward, the commendation, having pleased God. Verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him, or that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What's amazing by, by this, this structure here, in English, we kind of wrestle with this. He is the rewarder. Literally, he, he has become the rewarder, the noun. He is that substance of those who are defined by seeking him. He becomes that to them, he is the judge to those that stand guilty. He is the rewarder of those who seek him. He is the savior to those forgiven by him. This is the construction. It's a beautiful thing. Do we believe that? Now we read this. How quickly do we just gloss over some of this? I know in my own heart and life, I often do. Did you notice what happened to Abel? He was the first murder victim. And you know, often we think of that as just an example of sin, the consequence of sin, very clearly in chapter four, right? Genesis. But he was also the first martyr. Think about that. He trusted God, he offered God the sacrifice, it was accepted by God. What could go wrong? Though he dies. Notice the writer of Hebrews doesn't run over that fact. He stands as a witness, yet, even today. Do I do I believe that? Do I believe that God is good to me even unto death? Really? This is challenging. It's challenging in in our everyday life, in our work, in our finances, in our marriages. Listen, the cynical part of us in the middle of trials wrestles with this, doesn't it? Can I really trust him with this? The worst thing is we try to do this on our own. Back in the Hebrews chapter 12, as we try to do this on our own, notice how the writer continues by saying, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of evidence, of witness that it is good to trust him and that you can trust him and that your greatest good is tied to trusting him, let us respond by laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, when I read Philippians chapter 2, which we're going to get to, and I see that he humbled himself, became obedient even to death, even the death of the cross, I think that's great. That's wonderful. I, I, I want to be able to, to have this, this kind of conviction in my own heart. It's tied to trust. We try to do this laying aside the weights in our life, but we do so in our own power. This sin that so closely clings to us. We try to run the endurance, this race that's been given to us, but we do that without getting that first step first. Verse 2, not spending as much time looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, missing the crucial steps, of resting in the example of him who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Yes, despising the shame. Yes, in the garden, sweating drops of blood, asking the Father, if it's your will, would you take this from me? How many of us have been there, really? It's unfortunate that we don't find this place of rest until we've gone through some of those deep trials of suffering. There's nowhere else to turn. There's nothing else to do. Listen, we... We can learn that beforehand. God is calling us, even here through the writer of Hebrews, beforehand to consider that. Consider him, verse 3, who, is in, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, we jump right over this. There's a promise of strength as we sit before the very evidence and the example of our Savior. Jesus cried out to the, the people, come to me, all of you who are weary, tired, heavy laden. I will give you rest. You know, I love from that, he says, learn from me. For I'm meek and mild of heart. You know, that's, that's stuck in my mind. That I would learn the humility of Christ, that I would learn... The path of a suffering servant. Boy, we don't like that. And you know what's worse is when we find ourselves alone. You know, you're in this marriage and you're like, I'm the only one really looking to serve the Lord in this. Well, you're there with the Lord. Whatever it might be. And I'm not just picking on those that are married. Listen, all of us have our struggles. And we talk about choosing to trust God daily. I think we see that clearly in our example seen in Philippians chapter two. Would you turn there with me? We're gonna read this for the sake of time. There's, there's so much here. There's really probably two or three messages in all of this. And so I'm just gonna prepare you in advance. This is not exegetical. Normally I just walk through verse by verse by verse and there's, there's structure here. There's an early Christian hymn here. There's theology here, okay? This is topical. This is sitting here and asking myself myself, how can I have this mind in me, this, this attitude in me? What is, the, what is the basis for that? What evidence do we see in the life of Christ? So we're going to be in a number of places. And if you're following along in your notes, you see we're going to be in a couple of passages. So just be ready for some turning of the pages. But Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we see the foundation here. This is reflexive back to chapter one, which has already been laid. I'll let you guys read that on your own. But he says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, the expectation is there is, where do we find our encouragement? If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, listen, you are loved and you are accepted because of what Christ has done. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to earn it. You You are accepted based on him. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, that's this this relationship within the body of Christ. You know, as you share your heart with another believer who loves the Lord, that, that joy of fellowship and that unity, one Spirit, one baptism, one body of Christ, the expectation again is, of course, this is the foundation, there is. If there's any affection and compassion, and here's the appeal, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. That's where it gets traction, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He's writing to the Philippians here, and you might ask, what's this one purpose? Last time I was here, I talked about how Paul continued to say, this one thing I do, think this way, focus ahead on what God has called us to. We we looked at that last time. Well, this started all the way back in chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27, he's appealing to them saying, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is that one purpose for the gospel, not just holding it or sharing it, but living it in community. This one purpose is unifying. Of course, he goes on to say verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness. (laughs) You just stop it. wait. All right, I'm done. Nothing from selfishness. Did you know the root of almost every single conflict in our life is driven by this? I didn't get what I wanted. I can't get what I need. I have to have what I need. James talks about that wars and fightings among us do nothing from selfishness i'm already humbled or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves and so this is the ongoing commitment in our heart i'm not the most important person in this world i know it's a scary thing to find that out i'm sure most of us have had a few lessons in that but that's central that's how we center ourselves and then we looked at the example verse 5 have this mind this attitude this is this is an attitude based on your mental ability to conclude a matter you gave it careful thought you weighed the evidence you went to Hebrews chapter 11 you read it all and you agreed in chapter 12 this is right we're going to lay this aside we're going to press on to this race we're going to follow Christ have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. And here's the example, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. What that means is he was God. He already had that, but the difference was he wasn't going to hold on to every aspect of who he is and who he was. He was willing in practice to put that under the needs of others, to take on the form of a lesser form, a servant in the flesh, even just coming and living on this planet, was a humiliation to the greatness and the glory of God the Son. I think we underestimate the greatness of this example. The difference is we're not Him. We aren't worthy of all praise. We aren't the author of the universe. We very quickly put ourselves in that place. Not him. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. This is literally a slave. This is a slave. He took on the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men, being found in an appearance as a man, the fullness of humanity wed to deity, we don't understand. But he accomplished that. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. You know, that's tied together. And we struggle with obedience in our life. We know all the commands. We know all the rules. We know all the the do's and the don'ts. Humbling ourselves before the Father and saying, I will, is tied to the, the trust that it's best. It's all connected. He became obedient to the point of death even to death on the cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, the greatest of greatest above all, humbled to the lowest of lowest, a suffering and a sacrifice that we don't understand. You see, he was nailed to that cross, and we, we can physically go through the expectation of what that must have been like with his back ripped open, weakened from the loss of blood, so beaten you couldn't even recognize him, his beard ripped out. We can go through all the physical things. The truth is the greatest suffering was for our eternal debt that we owe. And he did that for everybody. And unlike us, as we walk through great trials, he was alone. The Father himself turned his back on Christ as the fullness of his wrath was poured out in our place on him. We don't ever have to face that. He is always with us. The more we think about just Philippians 2, the more inspiring it is and convicting it is and and humbling it is. I know it is for me. He did this for us. So the greatest of humiliations, again, entrusted to the Father, Jesus Christ, to the will, submitting to the will of God, saying, "I, I am here was then raised to the greatest of exaltations, the greatest place of glory. God has highly, for this reason, verse nine, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. This is a good example. Listen, obedience to God, even through great suffering and great sorrow and great sacrifice brings blessing. Do I trust him for that? No, it's really easy to say And I'm young and I'm up here and I don't have cancer and I haven't lost a spouse and I haven't lost a kid and I haven't lost everything. It's really easy to sit in your place and say, oh, okay, you know, that's easy. It doesn't matter. We're we're brought before the cross and said to every single one of us, consider him, he who knew no sin what was made sin for us. What does that mean? God didn't leave him on that cross. The Father exalted him. Verse 10, so that... The effect is that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that, that Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So then, my beloved, verse 12, this is where kind of rubber meets the road, and this is again very convicting. Just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but, but now much more even in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both the will. And to do according to his good pleasure. Now, this is an incredible thing. This isn't meaning that you need to work for your salvation. This work out your own salvation. This is a very interesting word. It's only used here, and it's tied to mining. And you might say, what's the point of that? Philippi was there because King Philip had silver in the mountains just north of the city. Now, they were played out mostly at this point. It was just a Roman colony, as Paul writes, But it's a beautiful picture of what our salvation truly is. Work out your own salvation with this term used about working out a mine is that it's already there. The the value is already there. What you need to do is you need to go in there, hack out that silver, and bring it out and put it to use. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is his mine. It is his silver. And it is yours to do this process. And remember, he is at work in you. You know, when the Spirit convicts my heart and I still am set on my own path, I'm resisting the God of the universe. That's not really a good idea. Oh, but we do it. And He's so patient with us. He's reminding us, listen, you're not alone. Submit to that work. Commit to that work. You're going to find great value and treasure as you work out what He's already invested He's already placed there. For it is God who's at work in you. How encouraging! But requiring trust for His good pleasure. That means I don't get it my way. (laughs) I don't get my timing. I don't get my. I don't get the plan I had in my mind. He calls us to follow, which brings us to verse fourteen. Quit your grumbling. Stop grumbling. And even amongst yourselves, disputing. Remember back to being of one mind. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God. Think as we follow Christ, as we become more like him, we become better reflections of who he is, truly a child of God reflecting the nature of that family. Living above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You know, when we look at Philippians 2 and and Christ humbling himself, the world was just as wicked and just as evil and things were just as out of control. It just There's different names and places attached to those stories. Living above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. We need the scripture so that in the day of Christ I'll have reason to glory because I did not run in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, listen, Paul is even saying, if I die in this imprisonment, even if I suffer greatly in all that, that I face because of the gospel, I rejoice. And you should too. You know why? Because he trusted God. And what he was telling the Philippians is, You need to trust God, too. So as we bow our hearts in prayer, and very quickly this morning, making use of our time as best we can, let's ask the Lord to open our eyes to this example as we consider Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. You know the conflicts that we have amongst one another, uh, amongst our families. Those things you've laid on our heart that we've resisted. You know the cycles. You know us. Even as we've grown in trust, we still have yet more to learn. And so, Lord, we just ask your spirit to be at work in our hearts this morning. I pray that you would continue to strengthen us and that your work, a part of that, would be done even this morning as we look to your word. We pray that in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So as we consider Christ this morning, we are going to... Be looking at a number of passages. So I'm going to ask you guys to buckle up, grab that Bible, and and follow along, if you would, as best we can. The first thing is realizing that I'm not just I'm not just saying that very clearly Jesus had to trust God the Father in this. I mean that's true. I think if you sit and you look at what this passage says and humbling himself and becoming obedient, and then both sides, the suffering and the humiliation tied to the great glorification that comes. That is definitely all proving what Hebrews 11 is also proving. We need to trust Him. But it also very clearly, and we could walk through the, the, the Bible, there's a number of places we could turn to, but 1 Peter does such a great job of highlighting this, and I, and I love how it describes his um, entrusting himself um, to, to the Father. Notice what it says in verse uh, 21, 1 uh, Peter chapter 2 uh, verse 21. Uh, for this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Suffering, by the way, in case you're wondering. If you follow Christ, you're going to suffer. All right? For to you, you have been called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, or was reviled, sorry, he said he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but notice what it says here. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What a beautiful word. Entrust. Entrusting himself. You know, it's used all over the New Testament. It talks about conveying something of which is got great personal value or interest to you, to somebody else. A couple of passages there in Acts, you can see them noted refer to handing over prisoners. Saul handed over prisoners, committed them to prison, these people that were followers of Christ. Paul himself was later delivered to a centurion as on his way to Rome. This is that same kind of delivering a person. So I have a prisoner. It's great value. You can't lose this person. I'm handing them over to you, and I am literally walking away. That's what Christ did, entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Now, it's interesting, as we look at this, this picture, how hard it is for us to do this in our own life. And we'll be honest, we lay these burdens down at the, at the foot of the cross, right? And you and I both know, what do we do again? We pick them right back up. Imagine if Paul just stayed hanging around. So it's just like, well, I'm just gonna hang out, guys. I wanna make sure they're okay. You're, you're crazy, You know Joel Peterson um, wrote this interesting book. He's a he's a a secular guy. He's he's not a believer, kind of moralistic, Um, but he's quite the individual. He's an older fellow at this point. Number of different books, and um, and I love how he sums this up in his in his book, the Ten Laws of Trust. Not this specifically. He just talks about trust. He defines trust as surrendering control. Surrendering control. So you go to a, a, a medical doctor and you surrender control to them knowing that they're going to act on your behalf. Well, you hope. I was going to use lawyers, but that was a bad example. <laughs> Elections, politicians, we could go down the list. But surrendering control to another. When you're sitting in the passenger seat and somebody else is driving, right? Right? And what's interesting is he talks about this. You know, he's the chairman of JetBlue Airlines, and he's he's an MBA uh, professor at Stanford. I mean, he's been around a long time. He's been very successful. He's talking about this in the business world, but it's great how he sums this up in some ways because he talks about three things, and it's all business. He doesn't really talk about personal stuff. But he talks about how we surrender control to those that demonstrate good character This is key, because if they don't have good character, it doesn't matter if they're able or if they have the authority, you can't trust them, right? So character is first. So you trust somebody because you know they're trustworthy, they're dependable, they're honest. But you also trust someone because they're able, right? I mean, someone could be really trustworthy, but just not able to do, like, any mechanic work. Like, you guys know people. You wouldn't let them touch anything on your vehicle. It's like, stay away, actually. That's how you can help me. No, are they able to do this? And then lastly, do they have the authority? Do they have the, Listen, don't come to me to rule on any sort of, of civil matters. I'm not the judge. He's, there's a guy who sits in robes. I don't know who it is. But you need to go deal with, with that with him. Do they have the authority to do this? Listen, Jesus continued to deliver himself and entrust himself to the Father's will Because he knew that the Father was worth in character, 100% trustworthy, ability, and authority, all of it. And even Jesus, as he gives us commands, notice what he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. I will be with you. Go and make disciples. I mean, if you think about the ties to all of this and how it impacted him, as Jesus chose to deliver himself, continue to entrusting himself in this example to the Father, what that really means, because again, this sounds really nice, right? We got Joel Peterson. We got this great, this great picture of, oh, it'll just all be okay. On the back of your notes there this morning, you see just in Matthew, just, just in Matthew, what does this word impact? In reality, all of us, as well as him, notice it says in verse 17 of chapter 10, beware of the men, I'm sorry, beware of men. They will deliver you over to courts and flog you, speaking to his disciples. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about what you are to speak. Speaking about division, he didn't come to bring peace. Brother will deliver brother over to death. Father, his child, children, rise up against parents. Continuing on, he was saying to his own disciples, the Son of Man is about to be delivered. When when Jesus delivered himself and entrusted himself to the Father, it meant that he was going to be delivered into the hands of men. Chapter 20, verse 18, we're going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered and will be condemned to death. As you go down over and over and over and over and over again, you get all the way to the cross in chapter 27, and you see those mocking him saying, does God want him? He trusts in God, verse 43. Let God deliver him now. He delivered himself up to God. Let God deliver him if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the reason why I bring this up is because this all gets really real when we see what, what we're called to, gets a lot harder when we're in the middle of that called sacrifice. Can I really trust God? This is really the heart of it, isn't it? Because we'll, we'll have these moments and we'll talk like this, you know, very directly. We'll read these passages. And, and the reality is in our daily life, The struggle in my heart is that if I deliver myself into his control, what are the consequences? I'm going to tell you, it's a lot easier to jump on a grenade in a moment. It's a lot easier. You know, parents, you know, saving one of their children from fire, I, along with them, in the flames for water. We see these stories from time to time. Now, that's the ultimate sacrifice. That's hard. And in the moment, we're compelled. How can you not do that? What's hard is to do this every single day and say, God, I, I'm going to trust you with this. There's one place where we break down as Christians, even those that know the Bible. Well, I'm just going to be honest. Me. It's this. Can I deliver control? I'm a a driven guy. I I control outcomes. Well, no, I don't. God's reminded me of that. I think I control outcomes. Work harder, do better, have a plan, work the plan. Yeah, no. (laughs) Works a little better sometimes, but God reminds us, no. Because in the midst of that, the foundation of that is always your will, not mine. He has to do what I can't. He's the one at work in all of this. He's the one at work in me. But it starts with this question, can I really deliver myself? Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges perfectly. He delivered himself like a prisoner to God's will and said, okay, your will be done as it is in heaven, not my will. You know, when I don't trust him, I'm shading his character. You look at Joel Peterson. Do I believe he's not going to keep his word? He promises. Maybe his ability. I'm just not sure if he can do this. I can do it better. His authority. When I, when I don't trust him in obedience, the truth is I, I'm rejecting him as God. Everything that he is and everything he calls us to rest in and sometimes we need to be honest about that. When I don't trust him in my conflicts, when I don't trust him in those areas of obedience, when I say I'm going to go out there and find my own happiness, come in here, check in at church Sunday morning, out the parking lot as soon as we're done, try to find it elsewhere, yeah, there's a lot of dissonance in our life because at the end of the day, this is just a part of my search for what only he can serve really be able to produce in our hearts absolute trust brings joy yes it's through suffering but listen there's joy in this and you can look even back to philippians chapter one what's he saying and this is another theme through philippians okay joy 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 rejoice and again i say rejoice he says it over and over again where's the joy in our heart Starts with trust. Notice what it says. I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out. Notice that word again. For my deliverance. I've delivered myself unto God, and I know it's all going to be okay. One way or the other, I will be delivered. It's my eager expectation that I will not be ashamed. And with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body by life or by death. Notice what he says. If they take my life, I win. See, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. I keep doing this. I keep helping you guys. We keep doing this together. This is great if I live. And if I don't, I don't know which one to choose. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ. And you know, let's be honest in life. So we see how much this world fails us, and as we continue to wrestle in the flesh of our own hearts, You know, heaven does look a lot brighter. Paul says, but I got a purpose here. If I remain in the flesh, it's necessary for you, and I'm convinced of this. And you go all the way down to verse 27, notice what he says. Live your life worthy of this calling. There is joy on the other side of absolute trust. There's joy in absolute Trust. But in the moment, it's so hard. It's so hard to see that. And I just realized it double-clicked. Paul said, I am not ashamed. I know whom I've believed. And maybe this is something we need to memorize in our hearts when we're struggling. And I am convinced, I'm sure, that every single one of us is familiar with these words, that he is able to guard what I've entrusted, what I've delivered to him, same word, until that day. Listen, there are threads if we just pick this apart all morning long, it'd take many more hours. But this is a thread through the New Testament that drives the very center of where our hearts need to start. And if we get to him humbling himself, which we're gonna look at next, before we walk through these parts of the example, this is just never gonna work. Have you you wrestled with that as a servant? Listen, it's like this big circle. God keeps bringing us back to himself. I want to serve. I want to follow. And I struggle with that in my flesh. And i got to come back to that trust. So Jesus humbled himself. And that's the the implications in action, these things that are real, hopefully, in in heart. And this simply means there's probably no better explanation for what this means than what we see in verse 3 and 4 of Philippians 2. What does it mean to humble yourself? Placing myself below others in importance. It doesn't mean that you're less than what you are, okay? That's one of those things. But no matter who you are or what you think you are, what you really are, you simply have to look up and look around and say, you know what? Your needs and your interests are more important than mine in this moment. I'm going to serve you in this. Now there's an example here of what Christ did. There's an example here of how in humility he counted others more significant by going to the cross and saying, my suffering is not the chief concern, their salvation is. What I deserve. Listen, in our world, if there are things true in the Roman world in Philippi, culturally, historically, one of the things we can look around here is we live in a culture that demands rights. That is not what we're called to in Christ. If Christ were to have stood up for his rights, air quotes, we would be very hopeless. He said, follow that example. In your marriages, in your church, in your relationships, in your work, become a servant. Listen, there is something in your heart that when it switches from self-service to other service, immediately, because this is how God has created us, there is a sense of joy and of meaning and of purpose. It's one of the reasons why even in the flesh, People in the world do good works. It makes them feel good. What's great is knowing the Savior and doing it for him. It's transformative. Placing others below ourself in importance. This is a choice of action. This is a disposition. This is an attitude. I've I've concluded that doing this for myself isn't working. I'm going to do it for the Lord. I can trust him in this. You know, this this doesn't mean that we're less than what God's created us to be. It actually means we become more. We become like him. You know, we don't have the time to fully go into the backgrounds of what this word means. But in the Roman world, there is long-standing expectation that the way you were born is just the way you're going to be. A noble person would be born from their heritage of nobility. And those that were not were just never going to be. And, of course, there was the, 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 the aristocrats that held us in high esteem. And, of course, everyone just lived under that. The philosophers argued whether that was possible. And what, what Paul is saying here, this is a Roman colony, mind you, in Philippi, is he's saying, yeah, none of, that's, none of that matters. Look at Christ. He was the greatest of the greatest. And he humbled himself and he was glorified doesn't matter who you are in this world, whether you're a slave or, or not, whether you ascribe to, to Roman tradition or you think about these philosophers. I'm going to be better. I'm going to do better. I'm going I'm to become a nobility even though I wasn't born into it. All of that doesn't matter. Look at him and serve one another as he served us. The implications of that are significant as we consider our own culture which has its own sermons preached to us about what our rights are and what we deserve and so many other things which creep into our hearts and our souls and our relationships. You know, this starts, this starts by humbling ourselves under God's will. This all begins with our willingness to come like Christ into the garden and say, not my will, but your will be done. If we're honest, we do not have control over the vast majority of our life's experience. We don't. It's part of the reason why we have such fear and anxiety. We, we pull or try to pull that control away from God. You know, we see in verse 8 where it says that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. That's that first point of humbling. Humbling ourselves as you know 1 Peter 5 says clothing yourselves with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble I need grace The call in our hearts is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that in due seasons he would exalt you casting all of your cares on him because he cares for you we need to hear this In those moments when we're struggling when we're saying even if he slays me still I will trust him I will cast my cares on him and I will see his grace at work in my life that's what Peter's saying of Luke 22 and, and I'd ask you guys to read these on your own certainly this afternoon but as, as Jesus humbled himself and became obedient he still prayed Lord would you take this from me In the flesh, what he faced was something that we don't really truly understand, but he knew it. Unlike you and me, the Father was gonna turn his back on him and crush him. It's not wrong for us to wrestle with this. It is wrong for us to not trust him in it. As he said even in those moments, not my will, but your will be done. Listen, if we can get anything right, and anything that we do, it's I will trust him and I will ask him to do what he knows is best. Give me the grace needed to get through it. His will is what I would want if I knew what he knows. I gotta remind myself that, even as I submit to it, but also as a servant. Now again, we can talk about these things and... and But the reality is when we get into it, when we actually sign up to help out with different things at church, when you go back to your home and you say, you know what, I want to try to serve my family, it gets hard really fast and we get tired and we get cranky. But as a servant, just as Christ served as a servant, we find great purpose. Jesus said, this is the reason why I came. Why has God left us here? How has He called us? What has He asked us, told us to do? In in John chapter 12, he says, Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. My soul is troubled. He was honest about the struggle, but what am I supposed to say? I'm not going to do it. The purpose that God has given to us is an extension, an extension of his ministry to one another, to those that are around us. And you know, there's great blessing. There's great blessing in that. And that's part of the the aspect of this we miss. And yet we we live it all the time when we serve ourselves, when we live for ourselves. We, We don't experience the greatest. We don't experience the greatest peace. We keep going over and over and over again, and and it's never enough. Whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it as a paradox. How is it that I gain when I give? The truth is we gain more than we could ever get if we're just trying to serve ourselves. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. My soul is troubled leads directly into the differences between the authority that God calls us to model and servant leadership. He says, you know, you look to the world, everyone's just trying to get whatever they want. This should not be the way it is among you. You want to be great? You want to be great? You must be a servant. You want to be a slave. And, And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all of you, even as the Son of Man has come not to be served but to serve and give his life as a, as a ransom for many. Now, what he's tying here is greatness and glory to serving and sacrifice. Think about this. This is the setting where Jesus washed their feet. Now, you don't need another sermon on service, but I want to ask very quickly, are we really serving in our lives? This is more than just, listen, we need people to help serve in the nursery. We do. We need people to help serve on safety team. We do. And the guys, they're always having to pick up those spots that aren't filled by others. And this is so much more than just you need to come and need to show up. This is a heart disposition of I want to be used by God. And this starts at home. This starts in my own personal walk in life, realizing there's there's blessing. When Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you need to be a servant. Do I take that seriously when I put a banner over my life and say, I'm a Christian? This is where it gets messy when I actually have to give up things in my life to say no I'm not going to go and do this and no I'm not going to do that this is the rub So why we never talk about it we just put a bumper sticker on it and say okay great love the Lord let's go that there's blessing there there's joy there and Jesus says if you're going to follow me we need to die to self and we need to look to those that he has put around us you know and that's why it's aspect of just discipleship that's what he talks about in Luke 9 if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me now if I want to ask how are we doing following him you know if we're, we're struggling with service that's just another aspect of asking God again would you help me be that servant whoever would save his life will lose it again the paradox but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What would it profit if I got the whole world and let you lose my own soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory. Listen, we talk about discipleship sometimes very lightly. The truth is, it's a weighty thing to follow in the steps of our Savior. And again, as I've said over and over and over again, sometimes the simplest things are the most important. And trusting God is certainly the most important. And it is simple. But it is hard. How many of us know Proverbs 3, 5 and 6? Many of us. But trusting the Lord with all my heart, not leaning on our own understanding, not that we don't use it, but we don't lean on it, we lean on Him, In all our ways, acknowledging Him, trusting that He will direct our paths, choosing not to be wise in our own eyes, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the center of it all, turning away from evil. It will be healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. That's 7 and 8. And we need that, we find that. My, My question this morning is, what do I need to surrender? What is it in my heart, in my life, even as I speak these things, you know you're holding back from the Lord. And you say, I don't know if I can give this to the Lord. What is that? And I was thinking how often in our lives we throw the banners of following Christ, the bumper stickers of following Christ, but our, ba- our planners say something different, how we spend our time. If someone were given an account of every aspect of this past week, our focuses, our conflicts, our loves, our desires, our energies. Uh, How can I trust God in those aspects this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know us all and that there's nothing about our performance that drives your acceptance or love of us. We're so thankful that you do love us the way you do. The truth is, we want to follow you, that you're worthy of following. We're convicted by the reality that when we don't, in small ways, we're really rejecting you. And we just commit again the best way we know how. And I pray your spirit would continue to convict us of our need to do this whenever our hearts drift. That you would help us rest in you and to truly live Out in these practical ways that we know you better in doing so that we would be rooted in your love more fully as we live this more even this week we want to trust you we ask you to help us in that in your son's name we pray amen would you please stand and join us we're going to close